0: Tonight, we are talking about heaven and hell. There's so much in the literature, so I don't know how much we'll get through. We've got next week as well, so it gives us time to talk. And we're also going to touch on souls and reincarnation, which is a whole other topic, which we'll do next week. So the Calvinists explain that God is good, and therefore he wants to bestow goodness on humanity. How? What would be the um, what would be the ideal or ultimate goodness, like the most optimal, the best type of goodness God could bestow? That would be a goodness in which people will not feel that they have gotten something for nothing, because the sages teach us that people who eat their friends' bread they feel shame. They feel shame, you know, they didn't earn it. It's like imagine if your friend had a big, com- big company, very successful entrepreneur, and he paid you all the money. Right. But it was his company. You'd feel so much better if it was your company and you created it and it was all your work. Right. Then suddenly you'd feel like, you know, it's really it comes to you. So the, it, since God wants to give the ultimate good, the ultimate, the best of the best, the best possible good is for people to feel that they earned their reward and they, they really, really can enjoy it. They won't feel like they're embarrassed because they didn't earn it. So in order to get this reward, God created a world where he gave us the opportunity to earn it. Now, the thing is, is that in the spirit, we spoke last week as well, that God is a source of all pleasure because he, God is a source of, of all pleasure or wisdom or knowledge. And he himself, the Kabbalah's explained is the, is the infinite light, right? Obviously when we talk about infinite light. We're speaking metaphorically. Uh, God is not uh physical uh, light. He, but he's, he is the infinite, the, the aims the infinite. But the, in Kabbalah, we refer to him as the or and Sof. is the way that human mind can grasp the infinite light. So the infinite blinding light in order for us to sort of bask in God's light. We have to be able to um, make we would get com- totally consumed by that light. So God made a physical world where he concealed and restricted um, his light in a way that we can then exist without being blinded. In a similar fashion to the same way if you want to watch a projector screen, you got to turn off all the lights in the room, and then the projector will be able to see, we have to watch the projector. You want to watch the, the World Cup on the projector? you got to turn all the lights off, and you see the projector. If the lights are on, you will not see any projector in the room. It just won't exist because the lights are blinding it out. So God had to dim, so to speak, all of his lights, and that happens through a, r- a range of spiritual worlds. Uh, you know, and, and, and uh, the 10 steroids, etc., etc., until we have a physical world where we can f- experience independence of God. But really there's just one unity, but in the body, we feel independence. So God is the ultimate good. He, the good is to be close to him, but the infinite light is very blinding. So God says, how can you be like me? How can you be like me in, in, in the physical world, you have a closeness through proximity. You know, when you have time and space, you can give someone a hug, you can be close to them, but in a spiritual sense, how can we be close to God? So the the answer is, the Kabbalists explained, that similarity equals closeness in a spiritual world. Resemblance equals closeness. So we have to remember, in a spiritual world, there is no time and space. So if you are different to something, you're far from it. You can never be close. Because by definition, you're far. You can't just walk next to them. There's no time and space. So you have to be similar to be close. Now, the archetype for this, that we can understand in this world, is love. Right. You can love someone from the other side of the world and feel extremely close to them. Or you can hate someone who's sitting right next to you and feel very, very, very distant from them. Right. So you already understand this spiritual Kabbalistic concept. Right. Through through the physical expression of love, where if someone you hate is right next to you, you feel very distant from them. But someone who's far away outside the world, you feel that you love them, you feel very close to them. So since similarity um, similarity equals closeness in a spiritual world, God create, was gave us the opportunity to become similar to him. Okay, so they, they explain there's three levels of pleasure. The first level of pleasure is your basic animalistic pleasures like eating, drinking, um, getting married, and all the things that we like to indulge in. That's your basic uh, animalistic pleasure. That's the lowest level of pleasure. Marriage is not <laughs> Mar- marriage, is not. Marriage not. Okay. We have an objection to marriage, so maybe we won't say marriage. Then the second level of pleasure we have is um is more of a mental pleasure. art, fine art, music, listening to an unbelievable composition, right? That gives you really a very a high level of pleasure. Um and it's much higher level in the sense it's more consumable. Like if you eat too many, uh, if you drink too much or you eat too many burgers. As much as you enjoy indulging in burgers, you're going to feel sick and going to vomit, right? It can even be fatal if you have too too much alcohol, etc. except et too much consumption of physicality and indulgence can be uh, fatal. But like fine art, you can enjoy more, right? A good book, good book, a good book, or, or yeah, like we have an author here, do you mind? Yeah. <laughs> Um, And then, but then there's a higher level of pleasure, the third level of pleasure, which is a sense of achievement and a sense of acknowledgement. And a sense of appreciate of, of being appreciated. So imagine you do a five year course at Harvard, and you do a double degree, and you're not sleeping at night, you're not going socializing and partying, you know, not going drinking. You're up all night studying in the library, and, he- and you're not sleeping, and you're stressed. And you do your five year double degree, and at the end, imagine your parents have to take out a double mortgage to pay the 250000 dollars US um, Harvard fees. Like it's like the whole family, yeah, the grandparents are chipping in, right? The bait for it. So at the end, you have a massive function, and the whole family gets together, and what a sense of achievement. Our grandchild, our child, our brother, our nephew, right? Pass the Harvard exam. But imagine if someone their whole life worked to solve um an incurable illness, like God forbid, cancer or some terrible illness, and they got the Nobel Prize, and the whole world, right, had a sense of had a, a, a appreciation for them, right? And imagine the sense of achievement and self-satisfaction that they would get from a life's work of achievement. There, that is not comparable in any way or shape or form to the, the lower levels of, of pleasure. Just having a drink of wine or listening to some music, it is incomparable. So what God did is he gave us the opportunity Through the Torah and the mitzvot, which is um, the Torah is God's knowledge and the mitzvot are God's will, right? He wrapped his will in the commandments. And he said, if you keep the commandments, two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to become similar to me and you're going to be able to bask in my light because you will be similar. So you'll be close to me, right? If you keep my commandments, you will be close to me because resemblance and similarity in a spiritual sense equals closeness. And at the same time that is happening, the more that you refine your character and overcome your challenges and work on yourself, not running after your, uh, your, your animalistic drives, not, not following your, your ego, right? The more you're able to rise above and tap into your spiritual self, to your soul, then every time you overcome a challenge, you get a sense of achievement because and the harder the challenge is, the more satisfaction and achievement you feel, right? The more you have. So if God forbid someone loses their business and it's during Corona, it's very, very challenging. And they have to fight and rebuild. Maybe it's a year later, maybe it's two years later, it doesn't happen overnight. They have a, and it's booming better than ever. Their business is better than ever because they've grown as a person, they have more skills, they have a, a, a broader personality. They're they've been through more life experience. So now um, they have a bigger sense of self-achievement. Of course it's challenging, but they feel a the great sense of achievement. So imagine we go through our entire life, overcoming each each obstacle, each challenge. At the end, God forbid, when the when, when the coffin is being lowered into the ground, the sense of satisfaction and achievement from a lifetime of work, right? Is something that a person did on his own that he worked on his own and he became a creator of his own reward because the more that he overcame his challenges, the more he created his own self-satisfaction. And he also became a creator because he became similar to God in the sense that he he was God's partner in creation in, in helping God be a partner of creation in creating the world to be more a God-like world, a world that's recreating God's image. And he recreated his own personality to be in God's image, right? He got an animal when he was born, he got a self um, absorbed self centered animal that's what a child is not an animal but self absorbed and self centered with animalistic drives. The child just gets angry, the child wants food, he cries. The child just expects everyone to help him whenever he wants. A drop of the hat, but the idea is that as we grow older, that's the idea of Ba at 13. That Ba at 13 is the neshama, the the, etsetov, the, the good inclination because it's, an, it's the rational mind. We expect someone at matures at age of 13. And they're able to discern between right and wrong and not be so self-centered and have a broader perspective and think of others and think outside of themselves, which will allow for them to bring God in the picture and will allow them to refine their character and think of others. And so God wanted a world of love, a world of kindness. Let's build a world of kindness. So therefore, to build a world of kindness, we become partners in God's creation. In, in God, We become partners with God in helping to recreate the world in his image. We recreate our own image, our own person in God's image. And we create our own sense of reward through the achievement and satisfaction that we get when we overcome all of our challenges through our whole lifetime. Okay. So now we're trying, now we get uh, some sort of understanding of the high level of reward. We have to now address the topic of the real you. So we touched on the soul last week. We're going to be talking about the soul next week. It's, it's what, it's one Judaism 101 because we start off the first, the first six days of creation. And on the sixth day, God created man. What does it say? And God blew into Adam's, Adam's nostrils and he became a living, a living being. And that was, uh, that was God blowing. And when you blow, you blow it from your inner essence, right? Your inner essence comes out. So that's where. Judaism starts, with the first idea of the soul is that God blew his essence, which is immortal, God's immortal essence, was blown into man. And then man is now has an immortal part to him. So before God blew into man, he was just a physical body without life. And when God blew his mortal soul into him, God's essence, he became, the neshama went into man, and now he was joined. He was a, had a neshama soul, and that the soul gave life to the physical body. So when you think about who you really are, right, who are you really? Who's the real you? So let's see. Who do we think we are? Do we think we're our hands? Like our hand, got a bit could be amputated, right? As so too could be our uh, kidneys, could be amputated. Uh, we could we uh, we could have a kidney replacement, right? Uh, we could have a um, a lung replacement, right? Transplants, right? The only thing at the moment that they can not do is a brain transplant. But but maybe probably science will get there. So when we look at the body. We definitely don't identify that as the real us when we think about it more deeply. It's impossible that's the real us because we can put someone else's heart in our body and like, what, are we the other person's heart? No, we're not, we're not the other person's heart. So imagine if we could clone a brand new body and we could take a person's health, a person's body is decaying, they've got gangrene, right? But we can clone a brand new body. We can take the person with the decaying body, we can take his brain, his SIM card, and put it in a brand new body. So all of its memories, experiences, emotions, creativity, personality traits, right? Imagination. Everything is in the brain, in the SIM card. We put that SIM card, that brain, in a brand new body. Who, who would you be? The new body or the brain? Obviously, you'd be the brain, right? You'd be the brain, right? The brain and the body. Yeah, you'd be the brain and the body, the mind, the mind that lives on. All of the information that is in the mind from a Kabbalistic perspective, the mind gets its consciousness from the soul, and the soul is a part of God. Meaning that our consciousness and our, our our awareness is very much limited when it's when our soul is in the body. When the soul leaves the body, the irony is we have expanded levels of consciousness, right? But the way the Kabbalists uh, and the Hasidic masters explain it is the eyes limit your vision of the soul. It's something called the, the the knowledge of the soul or the 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 seeing of the soul right <clears throat> and when a person <clears throat> is in this world the brain works 95% of the brain's function is to limit one thought at a time to shut down because if if we would think of all of our emotions all of our thoughts all of our memories Right, all of our experiences in one go, a person will go brain damaged. Right? It's like imagine you shut your eyes now and you see the static, it's flashing, boom, 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 boom. And every second, another there's more static on top of the one before. So it's impossible to concentrate on that. But but our brain works to, to really shut down that only we should think one thought at a time so that we stay normal and sane and healthy. Right. Now, <clears throat> what happens is that all of our all of our emotions and memories and, and um creativity and personality traits, they you can't they're not tangible when we're alive either. They exist in our consciousness and they exist in God's consciousness because nothing lives outside of God and everything stays in God's memory. But God's memory is dynamic. Because when we talk about God's memory in Kabbalah, we refer to it. When humans are alive, we live in God's das, in his knowledge. And when humans are dead, we live in his binner his understanding. Understanding is still a vibrant state of um, consciousness. It's not that like it's just uh, we're just somehow in God's memory. God's memory is, is alive and vibrant. It's in his understanding. <inaudible> like we say in Rosh Hashanah Exactly. So a person after he passes on, that knowledge, all of, all of his memory cards, the memory card that he has, that continues to exist even beyond his uh, physical body. And when they talk about hell, what they explain is is that imagine your mind and your consciousness being wide open. Imagine your mind being wide open. So when when you're living in the physical body, the body is limiting one thought at a time. And when you do something wrong, it rationalizes and it justifies. So a person does something wrong, right? Straight away, he thinks, oh, it's not so bad. The guy deserved it. He's anyway in that job. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was my mom, she's crazy, or it was my mother-in-law, whatever it is. People justify and they're rationalized. Yeah, it could be in the office, yeah. The guy had it coming to him. If you know what he did to me last week, we justify But imagine now when the person when the person leaves his uh, the soul leaves the body, and the body of information that's in the person's consciousness, in the person's soul which lives on forever inside of God, is now out for everyone to see. So the mind is wide open and the the valve of the brain, the reducing valve that tries to reduce one thought at a time is no longer reducing what people can see. And when a person passes on, he's not just in himself, but everyone who ever existed, God and all the great Sadiqim, all the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all your grandparents, all your friends who passed on, all those souls are there can see everything that's happening. The the Kabbalists explain that the spiritual world is an arena where knowledge can be transferred without being attached to any matter to anything physical. Now, if you think about that for a second, we've already come in the last hundred years within a tiny piece of plastic of that reality. So, what do I mean by that? So, some of us in the room are older. I know there used to be a one three hundred number to call for a phone number. Hey, You want a phone? You want a phone number? You call up one three. And they have a big warehouse, 10 stories high, with tens of thousands of phone books of all the Australian people, 26 million Australians. And they look up the phone number, wait five minutes on the phone, and they say, yes, page 76, yeah, on the 10th story, on the 14th shelf, right, in the 27th book, it says that Mr. Taylor, yeah, lives on this address, 952745. Today, right, we have managed to condense all that information into a tiny little piece of plastic and metal called a USB stick. That's incredible, right? That's incredible. After thousands of years of being science fiction, today we take a tiny piece of plastic, a USB stick, and all of those uh, uh, trigger bites, right, thousands of gigabytes are stored on a piece of plastic. And, and as technology is advancing, you can already have a pull-out screen, which is just pure light. There is no physical attachment. It's just pure light. So when we say in Kabbalah that in the spiritual world, it's an arena where you can transfer information without being attached to physicality or to matter. Today, that makes perfect sense to us, right? You, just, you don't even need that piece of plastic of the USB stick. So a person passes on, the body of information of his life experiences, of everything he's done right and wrong, lives on. Now, imagine when we get caught doing something wrong in this world. They say a person gets caught with pants down, right? Imagine how embarrassing that is. And yet the brain can rationalize and the brain can forget right? The brain forgets. You wait enough time and you forget. That's one of God's gifts to to us that we forget. And it makes it easier for us to grieve, makes it easier for us to go through challenges because and pain because we forget. But imagine when this is all wide open and we're standing naked before God and all of our relatives and there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide and nothing to forget and nothing to rationalize. And it's the world of truth where a person himself is now separated from his ego and from his brain and mind, and that's why it says a person will be his own judge. And we've all heard the story that the person that had a knee death experience or a clinical death that came back, they saw the life video and they judged themselves. This is what it means. It means is that in the world of truth, the world, they call it the world of truth, the world, the world um, after one passes on, the world of God is the world of truth. There's no God judging you. You judge yourself because your ego is now separated from your soul and your soul knows what your soul did right and what your soul did wrong. And everybody can see that. And when there's nowhere to run nowhere to hide, that embarrassment and that shame is metaphorically used across Jewish literature as burning in hell. And there are many, many, many uh, examples of this that our sages equate uh, burning to uh, the burning shame, and it's compar- comparable to burning. it To burning, for example, uh, the story of Yehuda and Tamar, when and the whole story in, in the Yehuda and Tamar, where Tamar was Yehuda's daughter-in-law. And there was a mitzvah to the Yibom and, and Yehuda's children, the children did not want to take her um, to the Yibom. After their brother died, they meant to marry his, the brother's wife and, and, um, and have children that so the brother's name should live on if they don't want to do it. So she then dressed up and was with her father-in-law. And, the, and, and then when, when the father-in-law found out that she was pregnant and they thought that she was, uh, um, because she, she was still, so to speak, legally bound to one of the son-in-laws to the Yibom, so she wasn't a free woman, so therefore, the punishment was to be in the furnace of fire. So she didn't embarrass him. So she sent him her staff. He gave her a staff when they were together as a, as a payment. So she said, whoever this staff belongs to, he should come and take it. And he realized it was him. And she didn't embarrass him. So you see how she was willing, Tomar, to jump in the burning furnace in order not to embarrass Yehuda. We find the same thing with in the Talmud with Mar-Ukva and his wife. They were giving charity. And they didn't want to embarrass the recipient of the charity. And they left it at the door and the recipient ran after them. And in order not to get caught, they ran to a bakery and there was a big oven there and the oven was on. They ran into the boiling oven, the burning oven, and a miracle happened that not, they didn't get killed. But they did that because they didn't want to embarrass the recipient of their, of their charity. So you see embarrassing someone is a direct correlation with burning. It's, it's even worse to embarrass someone than to get burned. That's what we see. But all throughout Jewish literature, in Jeremiah, in Daniel, in Yoel, all through Tanakh, we find, I can bring you many, many, many sources, we're not going to do it now, but it, it equates the afterlife with the burning shame and the fire of the fire of burning shame. So now that we understand that, what actually happens in hell? Okay, so we understand hell is a burning shame. Okay, which is a very logical and rational, um, not, not traumatic or, or frightening. We understand. We have a chance to, to become God's partners in creation. And I'm going to add on this point here. This is why immorality is the worst possible sin in the eyes of a Jew, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Judaism. And especially with the proliferation of technology and, and, and what's happening online with all of the terrible non-kosher content. Every Jewish male has a bris on his reproductive organ intentionally. The covenant is on the reproductive organ God could have made the covenant on a person's face, where everyone can see it. God could have made the covenant on a person's uh, body, but he made it on the reproductive organ. Why? And the answer is because a Jew's morality in the world, right? A Jew's connection to God, a Jew's ability to emulate God is all founded and based the vessel and the tool which we have, right? The, the number one opportunity that we have to emulate God is by being givers and creators, right? Because God is a giver and a creator. And that's the whole thing about Judaism. Judaism is about building a world of love. We said, Olam a world of love and kindness. That's why you find a Kiva said and Hillel both said, when a non-Jew asked Hillel, um, teach me the whole Torah on one foot, he said, what you don't want to do to yourself, don't do to someone else. Right? What you don't want done to yourself. What did Rebek Kiva say? Love your friend like you love yourself. Right? But people forget this. They think, well, I love my friends, but I don't need to keep God's commandments. But your biggest friend is God. He loves you the most. So you have to love God to keep the commandments. Now, God gave us the ability to be creators like him. So we are most emulating God when we become creators through reproduction. So if we take this one tool that God gave us, right? That is holy in the sense that it needs to be separated. Holy means separated. Shabbat is holy. Why? It's separated from the rest of the week. The Jewish people are holy. Why? Because they are separated from all the other other nations of the world. The other nations of the world keep the seven laws of Noah. We are commanded to be, a holy nation, a nation of priests, and a holy nation, a light upon the nations, holy by being separate and having 613 commandments. So separating and not indulging in our animalistic desires or our impulses that we want to just have instant gratification, right? We have to make sure that the tool that God gave us to really emulate him and imitate him and, and resemble him, which is to recreate and procreate, is done in a very godlike fashion of giving, and loving in a way that we are creating and constructing a beautiful family with beautiful wife and children etc 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 if we just use that for short term pleasures and uh, superficial encounters we become the opposite to god in a in a in a in a in a kabbalistic and spiritual sense we are far 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 from god so people say well god doesn't care what i do by myself in the shower right well he does because he gave you the opportunity To have life potential, right? To have seed, which is considered the potential to have life. If if there was no other man on the world that had seed and we destroyed this, everybody would be up in arms, right? So we have the potential to procreate and to have the life force that God gave us. And we have to be careful that we use that only in a constructive way. So we become like God. God is not wasteful, right? And God acts with restraint and with discipline. By allowing us to exist, God is acting with restraint because he's withdrawing his light, right? He's restraining His blinding and infinite light to allow allow us to have the perception of independence from him to allow us to earn our reward. So everything is a gift from God. The Torah and the mitzvot are a gift from God to allow us to become similar to him, to emulate him. In fact, all the Hasidic masters say that every one of the 613 commandments are really just God's gifts that allow us to be close to him, to get reward. That's what they are. That's how they have to be seen. The idea is that it's a gift. We can be similar to God. We can be creators. We can be givers. And thats it's all about thinking about other people, right? But in the way that God wants us to. Because if we do it in a way that we want to, we are not allowing God to have expression in the world. God's will finds expression through his commandments, which he wants us to perform. If we want to do things and be spiritual in our own way, that's fine. But we're not giving expression to God's will. And we give expression to God's knowledge and God's wisdom when we learn his Torah. Because that's his knowledge and his wisdom. So we can be very spiritual in whatever we want. Right, and do mantras, and and, and 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 dance, and have music, and do whatever we want. Meditation, but we're not giving expression to God's knowledge unless it's through the Torah, right? We're not giving expression to God's will unless it's through His commandments and His mitzvahs and His and what He wants us to do. So now that we've understand that, what is hell? So hell is only eleven months. There is no concept in Judaism, and a lot of you already said this. Uh, the Christian idea of hell is corrupted, and the Jewish idea of hell, which is the source, because obviously Christianity took a lot of Judaism, and then sort of uh, made their own ideas with it. The Gemara says there is no hell. What the Gemara is saying is there's no eternal hell, right? What we mean by this is there's no eternal hell for regular people. There are some terrible, terrible, terrible people in the world, like Hitler and others, um, and those people, their souls are cut off forever. They don't like a fly. It lives and it dies. So there are people who their soul, that's it. Because, because of what they did, or let's say it's not it, but they suffer internal torment. But for the Jewish people, right, which the Gemara says, the whole, all the Jewish people are are righteous, even the, the, even the non-righteous upon them have commandments filled, are filled with mitzvot like a pomegranate. Pomegranate is full of, full of seeds. So even the, even the Jewish people who are not righteous are full of mitzvot. The Jewish people overwhelmingly, um, everyone, there's no eternal hell. There's 11 months uh, uh 11 months what we will call again of the embarrassment and 11 months what happens is is that after 11 months which corresponds to 11 months of the aveilut, here we have 11 months of mourning of kabbish for 11 months because after 11 months the shame wears off the shame wears off now two things are happening here one is it's a it's a cosmic cleansing in the sense that like the burning shame every time you want to kasher something you make it kosher in your kitchen for pesach or yeah something uh, became non-kosher you've got to kasher it right with boiling water or with a blowtorch. So the burning shame is like a blowtorch. It really cleanses. It takes out what we call the blear stuff that absorbs, non of stuff that's absorbed in the pot. It takes that all out. So the soul, get all that comes out. Imagine you go to the dentist and your tooth has um, plaque on the tooth, right? And when, it, when you go to the dentist, every time it's like, it's terrible. The dentist takes this device and he starts scratching. And it's like, you swear to yourself, you're never gonna, you're gonna brush your teeth twice a day forever, right? Because it's so painful. When you go to the dentist, it's indistinguishable, the tooth between the plaque. It's all stuck. It's all one, right? So that's sort of what's happening in, in the 11 months of, of the embarrassment. God is separating the plaque from the soul. As well, the embarrassment is a deep sense of regret, which is shuvah, right? What's the main component and ingredient of, of regret? Shuvah. The sense of, I, I want to be, so, I'm sorry, I want to be close to you. So that is happening when you have the 11 months of embarrassment. So after that 11 months, the soul is cleansed, right? After, and, and embarrassment wears off. And therefore the, the Shiva only lasts 11, the, the availus only lasts 11 months and the Kalish only lasts 11 months. And then a person can be, he's then his soul is cleansed, which means all of the, um, the schmutz, all of the bad stuff, all of the plaque of the soul, the, the sins that he did, the embarrassing things that he did, um, the things that he really, uh, uh, regrets. Right. The things that 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 that's darker than black in the soul, they are all gone. And now the soul is now just a shining ball of light and he can be similar to God again. However, here's the catch. Your reward, heaven, which is closeness to the infinite light. Right. Is only according to what you earned. So when you go to the dentist and he gets rid of the plaque, you don't get a brand new tooth out of the catalog. Right. That the model has in the catalog. No, you get your tooth without the plaque on it. But your tooth may still be, in a, you know, a, an old 30, 40, 50, 60 year old tooth that's been decaying and it's yellow and it's changing color, et cetera, et cetera. So we are all judged and rewarded based on our potential. Each person is judged based on his potential. Nothing to do with anybody else. Your potential is a seven and you score a one, you end up, After the cosmic cleansing process and the embarrassment and the purification, etc., kashering process and the the regretting process, God is going to be, at his infinite kindness, is going to give you a reward. Yes. But you're only going to get the one. So if a person, for example, he could have put on tefillin every single day, but he put on tefillin only at his bar mitzvah. Right? So he became similar to God in the sense, right? That he incorporated God's will in him, which lives on forever, God's will and God's knowledge. See, everything in this world, right?, Is superficial. It has no, uh, what we call in Judaism, kium. It has no sustain. It's not, it's not sustainable. It's like a dead fly on the wall. The dead fly on the wall, on the the dead fly on the windowsill. Is it, is it, is it real? Yes and no. It's real that you can touch it, but it's not real in the sense it's, it's going to decay and that's it. It's gone. Right. The only thing that lives eternally is God and things that are part of God's will and God's knowledge because God's will and God's knowledge are inseparable from him. God isn't made of duality like different parts. God is his will and his knowledge is all God. So if you attach yourself to God's will, the Torah, or God's knowledge, God's will, the mitzvot, or God's knowledge, the Torah, then you are part of God that lives on forever. And more than that, you you also become a partner of God in creation. So you're not only you attach to God, you're also a partner of God, right? That lives on forever. So the part, and that's why they say, that we we look at every Jew in a positive light. There's no such thing as a bad Jew. Now, a Jew could do bad things, of course. A Jew could do bad things. But the Jew is always good because the infinite soul that lives for eternity inside him, the godly soul, that is inherently good. It will live forever. And however much a person makes that soul similar to God, that will be his reward. So if you have one to fill in for your whole life, you're only going to be similar to God in the sense that you have one fill-in, one little mitzvah. But if you put on fill-in every single day, wow, wow! You're going to be tens of thousands of times more similar to God when you pass on, in for right for eternity. If you light Shabbos candles every week, right? If you give tzedakah charity every day, it's not going to be even comparable how much more similar you're going to be to God, right? Than if you gave tzedakah once. Or if you let lick candles once in your life. And this is why it's so important to understand that we can never, ever judge another person. And and judging is the most um, non-Jewish idea that there is, judging. We can tell people there is a mitzvah to help people, to help them. If they're doing the wrong thing and they're open and they're receptive to the message, by the way, the way you come closer to Hashem is by doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and they're like, oh, "I'm sorry, I didn't know it was wrong." Yeah, or they need support. Sometimes people just have need support. Like the, if they're smokers, they need support to encourage them not to smoke. Or if they are uh, uh, sometimes they have a temptation, and a friend, good friend can help them. You know, they're at the kiddish seven layer chocolate cake. They're on a diet. A nudge from their friend, "Come on, you can control yourself." That's good support. But judgmental, being judgmental, is the most anti-Jewish thing. Why? Because how free will actually works is is that we don't actually have free will on everything. For example, right, you don't have free will now to go and kill your spouse. Now, maybe it's in the real possibility, but let's say 98%, you're not going to do it, 98%. So how they explain this is the following, that imagine you have a battlefield with two armies, right? Two armies are coming on a battlefield. If I can use this as an example, right? The two armies are coming. Now, if I divide this in the middle, in the middle, a right, in the middle of this tissue, okay? So this is the one army here. This is the Roman army on this side, okay? Then I turn the tissue. This side is the Greek army. On this side is the Greek army, okay? Now, they're going. both these sides have already been conquered. They're going <laughs> to meet at a spot, at a point in the middle. In the middle of the two camps, there's going to be a spot where a war is going to take place. The Greek army on this side and the Roman army on that side. So the actual place of war is going to take place, the nekuda, the dot, the point of war will take place over here, right in the middle, right? So that's how it works with a human's free will. We don't have free will in everything. What happens is, is that a person, the more he works on himself, the more he grows, the more his free will changes. So, for example, uh, right now, you don't have free will to go and kill someone. But maybe you do have free will that if you're uh, if you're driving your car and someone cuts you off, Not to curse and scream at them. Maybe, for example, you, your friends, you have the ability to control yourself, not to speak lashon hara, gossip. (coughs) Thank you about your friends. That's within the the your free will range. But um, not everyone has free will now to, for example, give a million dollars of charity or just pack up their business and sit and learn Torah twenty four hours a day or not sleep at night, you know, and just learn Torah all night. Right? Not everyone has that type of free will. So everyone. So that's why the rabbis teach us, the sages teach us. That if you gave $10,000 of charity, maybe it's not enough. Don't believe in yourself until the day you die. Because maybe you didn't do enough. Maybe you should have given $20,000 of charity. You learned one hour. Maybe you should have learned two hours. Right? We don't even know our own point of free will. We always have to try our best. But at the same time, we can never be too despondent. We can never feel too guilty or too upset. Because... It may have not even been possible for us to overcome that challenge, right? Sometimes it's going through the experience. It's not always the end result that we envision, right? God has his own idea for the end product. That's how it should look. Not always that we set goals. Does God want us to complete them or, or finish them. But God wants us to try our best. So therefore, the expectation is wrong. We think the expectation that we have ourselves is that we're not allowed to fail. We have to be perfect. And if we're not perfect, we give up. But God's expectation is exactly the opposite. God's expectation is we will fail. We will stumble, but all he wants us from us is not to give up. That's what it says. There is no human in the world that, that, that does good and never sins. No one. Everyone sins. Everyone falls. So then what's a righteous person? Sadiq, sheva He falls seven and he gets up, meaning he falls, but he never, ever gives up. So therefore, we can never believe in ourselves so there we die, because maybe we didn't do enough. We can't judge ourselves or others because we don't know, what the exact point of our free will is. So maybe, and the, and the Svarim write this, the Kabbalists write this, that sometimes you're just not able to overcome the challenge. Um, you just have to try your best. You are able to ch- try your best. Absolutely, right? You have to always try your best. But just because you tried your best doesn't mean it was always God gave you the opportunity. You might have a big uh, a challenge to raise a million dollars of charity and you got to 900,000. That's amazing. You tried your best, right? You may have had a challenge. You wanted to finish the entire Talmud. But you got distracted and you had triplets and you had to go to work uh, uh, 16 hours a day and support your family. And that's what got one of you. So you couldn't finish the whole Talmud. The point is you have to try your best. Every time you take out the Talmud, it's 10 o'clock at night and you're and and you and you you exhausted and you try to learn for 20 minutes and you fall asleep. That is trying your best. So, therefore, as long as we try our best, that's all God wants from us. And we shouldn't be too judgmental of ourselves. To conclude, what we'll say is the following. This is how um, the, the Kabbalists uh, sum it up. This world is the world of maximum challenge, which is a gift from God. It's the Harvard exam. No one wants their son to go to the rundown community college, you know, free education, no, no books, no resources, no, no football pitch. No one wants their son to go to that rundown college. Right. They want to get the Harvard exam, even though it's going to be an enormous sacrifice and investment financially, emotionally. Right. Very, very taxing mentally but everybody wants to have an exam. The greater the challenges, the greater the reward, because your sense of self-achievement, satisfaction, accomplishment, not only in your eyes, but in the eyes of God. How much of our life do we spend trying to find um, validation in the eyes of our parents, now and our community, and our friends? Now imagine that everybody, your father, your friends, your grandparents, your uncles, all the tzaddikim, Ben Chai, Rambam, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Akiva, Avraham, Isaac, Yaakov, and God Himself—you found validation and credibility in their eyes. What a sense of accomplishment! So, this world's world—the maximum challenge—and it's a gift. And the next world is the world of maximum reward. The more you have a sense of satisfaction and achievement, the more that you are godlike. The more similar you are to God, the closer you are, and therefore, we won't have questions of why righteous suffer. And why God conceals his his light from the righteous. And why the wicked prosper. Because we understand that this is the world of maximum challenge. And if we want to just sit down and eat our popcorn. And just retire at 25. Then we are not going to be similar to God. That is not why we are here. And everyone has their own choice what they want to do. Judaism does not believe in forcing anyone to do anything. And everyone has their own choice. So if we use our free will which God gave us as the biggest possible gift to be, to emulate him. God is reaching out and saying, I want to have a relationship with you, but allow me in, allow me in. One of the great masters says, where is God to be found? Wherever you let him in. We will open up the floor to anybody who would like to comment, ask, uh, add, clarify. We have a comment here, hell is not so bad from Jack. Hell is not so bad. It's not so bad in the sense is that it's whatever you make it. Because God time we go to hell, now I feel better. Yeah, well, actually, in the Pirates of the Caribbean, I think it was second or third one, uh, he comes into the conference of all the pirates, they all gather, and, and Jack, Sp- Jack Sparrow comes in, and he wants to find out the, the secret to eternal life. And the head of the of the whole United Nations of Pirates gets up and says, Jack, the secret isn't to live forever. The secret is to live with yourself forever. And that's really the idea of the 11 months. Can we live with ourselves for that 11 months, right, publicly with our mind and our conscious wide open. That's the, that's So hell isn't bad in the sense it's what you make it. It can be very, very bad. I mean, they describe it in horrific terms because the burning sensation, it, it's something that mental anguish, mental pain is so much more worse than physical pain because it's unlimited, right? The body, the physical pain is limited, but the mental anguish, and the psychological um, anguish of the soul is, and we'll talk about this next week. Next week, we're talking about the soul and the body and, and, and the psychological pain and identifying with the soul and the body and how it works with the seven days of mourning and with the burial and why you have to bury someone straight away and how the soul rises to the other worlds. We're going to talk about that. Next week is a whole new discussion about the soul and reincarnation. But for tonight, it was mainly heaven and hell. My thought is that you've addressed it within purely uh, Jewish parameters uh, with a Jewish worldview, with Jewish, um, modes of behavior and values and, you know, acquired behaviors and all of this. What yeah. do we do with all the rest who live outside that? Because we're a very small, uh, feature on the face of this earth. Exactly. We're only, you know, very small people. Mm-hmm. What is our understanding of, uh, the approach the rest of the world Great has? Great question. Make? Great question. And I spoke about this last week. And it's good you raised it in this context. Everyone, Judaism is a universal life code. This is the biggest difference between Judaism and all the other religions we touched on last week. They all are exclusive. It's Christianity, which with its hundreds of different branches, each one is more exclusive than the other one. So the Protestants believe the Catholics are going to hell. And the Evangelicals believe the Protestants and Catholics go to hell. And the Romans believe all three are going to hell. So And, and Muslims believe you're not, Muhammad, you're not going to heaven. Judaism is a universal life code. It's not a religion. Everyone has a purpose and a place. And the way Judaism addresses this is that there are 70 nations, core nations, obviously today, you know, there's many more, but in the time, biblically there's 17 nations and every single one of those nations have a purpose. And God wants a relationship with every single human. Every human is God's creation. And God wants to give to every single human is their father. But God has a special bond with the Jewish people because he wanted one nation that will be the nation of priests and teachers. Like every single uh, shul has a rabbi, every church has a priest and every mosque has an imam that teaches and that uh, um, is, uh, so to speak, on a higher moral and spiritual plane, held to a higher moral standard, that it can influence others and lead the way and lead by example. So too, God said, I want one nation out of all the nations that will lead by example, be a light unto the nations and be a, a nation of priests and a holy nation, which is the Jewish people. So we have much more responsibility, much more commandments, much more rewards because much more satisfaction. The non-Jewish world have the opportunity to convert and get the increased reward, but they're all going to go to heaven if they keep the seven laws of Noah, which basically mimic the 10 commandments, except for a few gifts like Shabbat that God gave only to the Jewish people. But if the non-Jews, all they got to do is don't steal, don't kill, etc. Keep the laws of 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 morality. Set up courts, just societies, etc. And they all go to heaven. Obviously, they have to believe in Hashem and believe in God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. um it can't be idol worshippers. Obviously, if they believe in God and they want to emulate Him and be close to Him and have a relationship with Him, they all go to heaven. But it's not the same heaven. And I'll just explain to you why. Because the heaven of keeping six hundred thirteen commandments, being persecuted for two thousand years. Going through Spanish acquisitions, giving up your uh, your whole family, burning at the stake, never selling out God because of that faith and that integrity in the relationship, right? To be one with God and to keep the and it's harder to live every day and sanctify God's name than it is to die. If you die, you die once for God's name, but you live every day sanctifying God's name. It's it's incredibly difficult. So therefore, the sense of satisfaction and achievement is much greater. Um, hence, the reward and the sense of achievement is much greater. But they all go to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven if they do the right thing. Absolutely. Excuse me. Is the soul directly in the body? Excuse me? Is the soul directly in the body? Yes, there's a soul is directly in the body. Next week we'll talk about this. Is the soul directly in the body? There's five levels to the soul, five levels. And it's and we're going to talk about it next week. But how it works is, is that I spoke before about God's infinite lights and turning off the lights in the room to allow the projector to be seen. So how it works is as God's lights are dimmed it's called and referred to in Kabbalah as spiritual worlds. So in the higher world, there's more of God's light, hence more revelation. You can see more godliness. But but as we go through the world, God's light is more withdrawn and, and, and there's more restraint and more concealment And until we get to this world. The same is in the human soul. Those great tzaddikim, those great righteous people, Hasidic masters, Kabbalists, that are able to, uh, to tap in, to the higher levels of their soul are really tapping into higher levels of consciousness right so the soul has five levels and we'll talk about next week but it's nefesh ruach neshama the neshama is the bridging one which when we sleep at night goes up and then chaya and echida and we'll talk about next week which ones are where but basically those that can tap into the highest levels are broadening and advancing their their, cons- their consciousness right and there is more of God's latter revelation because there is less concealment. That's how it works. So yes, it is in the body, but it's different levels. Some level, some of the souls in, some of the soul hovers above. It, it the soul has got is multi layered. Cool. Directs the body. Direct the body. The body acts according to the soul. Right, and it should be. It should be the soul. The body should act according to the soul because the soul is, is giving life to the body. But right? if, act, if the body dies, yeah. the soul suffers. Right. Yes, because the body is only a uh, clothing to the soul. And this is again for next week. But basically the soul, according to the Kabbalah, has two clothings. One clothing, it sheds its, its spiritual garments when it enters the physical garment, the physical body. When it leaves the physical body, physical body, it puts back on its spiritual garment. And that's why the word oyer, light, and the word oir, skin, are interchangeable, identical in Judaism. The word for skin, which is the bodily garment of the soul, the physical garment, and the word oyer for light, which is the soul itself, are interchangeable because the soul and the skin become one but yes but the person has free will so he does have a soul he does have a soul but the body is the, is in a constant battle with the soul because the soul is the person's the soul is at rest in a person's mind in in the rational in the rational self but the body is very very powerful because the body, body has the ego the body has emotions the body has drives right and therefore the body pulls the soul away from what the soul knows is right to what the body feels so every morning when you wake up you have the body You have the soul and you have the ego and they fight it out, right? Should I go to shul and put on fill in this morning, right? It's dark, it's raining, it's cold, it's winter. So what happens? The soul wants to do what is good. The ego wants to do what looks good and the body wants to do what feels good. So the body wants to roll over. I'm comfortable. I'm fine. I'm good. Let me do what feels good. So it's a constant battle. And we refer to this. Ebuna in Judaism, we spoke last week, isn't blind faith. We spoke last week about the principles of Judaism. If you haven't seen it, we had a phenomenal um, Q and A discussion, and um, especially from 25 minutes in, I address the fundamental principles: how we know it, and because we know it, we trust in Hashem. So, emuna in Judaism is trust; it's not blind faith; it's blind trust. Once we know and establish God is our is our Father, He took us took us out of Egypt, and with the splitting of the sea and the forties in the desert and, and the revelation of Sinai, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now we have we have we have trust and integrity. And faithfulness in our relationship and Munah is faithfulness. So when we go to the Kiddush and our, and our mind, our rational self says, don't eat the seven layer cake. And our body says, eat the seven layer cake. Who's going to win? So if we have the right, if we have the right integrity, right? Then Anna will win, but very often people do smoke and do drink and do uh, run after attractive people, even though it's bad for their wife and their kids and their family and themselves, because they, they just, they're human, right? So it's a constant battle. And that's the thing, we have to try and and not allow our body and our social society um to distract us, especially today with all of our distractions with, with social media. We're constantly distracted, and we're not allowing for our rational self to think and, and critically analyze and critical thought, right? What is going on here? We spoke on Shabbat about this. No questions, just find it really interesting. Um, one thing that sort of Really landed for me is this thing about, it's kind of like, you know, you, you fall, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off and you keep on going. Like that whole thing of like not being... Despondent. Yeah, well, not, not just not being despondent, but just not giving up. Like, Absolutely. you know, something doesn't work. Okay, well, it doesn't work. Doesn't mean you have to walk away from it. It's like, alright, well, what, what else? How else can you approach this? You know, what can you do? And, and, and I'm sure there are times that, yes, sometimes it's like stop knocking your head against a brick wall and it's appropriate to, to stop that direction because that is not an appropriate direction which is probably why it keeps failing and falling and then you look well what else like but not yeah i don't know it's just it kind of resonated with me that that particular yeah, absolutely no, i can see that because a lot of people think if they're not successful then it's a problem but it's not necessarily it's not necessarily you know sometimes we 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 we, we are happy about things that happened to us a long time ago. Um, you know, that 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 today we're, we're so happy that they happened to us, but back then it was a painful growth. We have to shed it's almost like you know, they say with the shedding the shell, you know, when the, when the butterfly comes out, it's beautiful, but it's gotta shed the shed the cocoon, right? And yeah. If we judge ourselves in this world, does it make, die does it, we make it easier ourselves? after we pass on into the next life or the next state of existence? If we if we judge ourselves in this world absolutely why that process is called um self um cheshbon hanefesh, self um, um, um what's called what you, personal accounting yeah self accountability and it's a process of tshuva so you say okay what and this is what the 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 the, the this is what the uh, actually the Hasidic masters write that a person should never ever get into a state, a, a state of guilt or, or negativity—that's the worst possible thing. Why? Because it's only going to lead him to do more bad things to satiate, to sort of uh, fill that vacuum, right? So the idea is to uh, to remove your egoistic, the, the automatic reaction, the emotional reaction is never coming from a good place, never. Even if it's like because you're sad that you did something against Torah, against the mitzvot, you know, it's never coming from a good place. It's always coming from your ego. So therefore, you have to wait, let's say, twenty-four hours, or they say when a person goes to sleep at night, right? Yeah, when a person goes to sleep at night, that's when he can self uh, introspect, self reflect, and then you say you think about how you want to be close to God and how um, you know m- maybe what I did wasn't so great in a non negative way, and then you regret what you've done wrong because the main the main uh, the main point of tshuva is that you have regret and you want to be close to God. It's all that your heart. You want to be close to God. So the person, and that's why they say do tshuva every day, like you're saying, self judgment, self every every day introspect every day that way in case today someone passes on right we have a friend who passed away we started this show that the passed away today and he he was fantastic a few weeks ago unfortunately just no one knows one day to the next we spoke on shahat we said David Melech King David writes your days are like a fleeing shadow and, and no one knows, no one knows when, when their time is up. So if every day we give accountability and we say every day, God, we say it in, in, in three times a day in, 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 Shlamidad, in Shwana Esra, we say, God, I sinned, forgive me, I want to be close to you. That is a hundred percent. We can cleanse, but some things are harder to clean than others. It's okay to say, I'm sorry, but if you stole something, you have to give it back. If you embarrass someone, you have to ask forgiveness. So it's important to keep that in mind as well. Thank you alright everybody good amazing thank you so much I'm so excited for next week thanks for your contributions Um, helping to stim me and stay me on the right track and answering all the things in this discussion and next week we're going to talk about soul and reincarnation super excited